Welcome to Network Provence with me, Rebecca Ronane. This podcast is for you if you are interested in living, working, holidays and appreciating everything in Provence. We'll be talking networking business, culture, traditions, holidays, food and art, the fun and the serious side, and having lots of interviews with mostly women. Once again, I'm speaking to Julie Skolnick, a flautist here in Provence and on the other side of the Atlantic in the United States. Today, we're talking to her about her first book. Julie Skolnick has written a memoir of first love that takes place in Paris, the City of Light, in 1976. So let's dive in straight away and hear how she came to write this book. With pleasure. And thank you so much for this interview, Rebecca. Um, well, the, the, the interesting thing about this story is that it has been lingering in my psyche, the corridors of my psyche, for over 40 years now. It's a story that began when I was 20 years old living in Paris. And I always knew that one day I would have to tell this story. And I knew it was a good story. I just didn't know how to get to the other side. So um, I did write a first draft. I didn't think of it as a book back then, but I just wrote this whole story down when I was about 22. Um, and then I put it away for decades and then I would haul it out again and by haul it out again, I really meant, of course, um, you know, it was in, it was actually longhand in notebooks. And so at one point I scribbled it, I typed it all into a, a beginning manuscript, and then I would put it away again for another 10 years. I'd take it out, dust it off and work on it a little bit more. Um, and it went through so many evolutions and so many iterations and forms and versions. I, I turned it into a novel at one point and then I, turned it back into a memoir, and then I cut 100 pages. And then finally, a few years ago, just two or three or so, I just was determined to cross this off my bucket list. And I, I, I cut a lot of it. I read a book about memoirs, and I learned that memoirs are really about one thing. They are about one universal truth as illustrated by a personal story. And that's when it all came into focus for me. And so I got rid of all the tangential stuff that did not belong there, that did not help the story. And, um, and then I hired a manuscript consultant. It was basically already in its final form, but she just helped me with a few things like my flashbacks and the structure and things like that. And then, um, and I found somebody who loved it and who, who, wanted, who wanted to publish it. So that was back in January that it was accepted by Kohler Books. And they said, basically seven months. And I said, I can wait seven months. And so um, here we are, October 5th. So I'm just so thrilled because it is, it is so huge for me. Number one, I'm not a writer. Um, I use writing personal essays when I am talking to my audiences about what the music means to me how I discovered pieces, why I put pieces together. And I usually use a lot of personal stories in those explanations and those little speeches, um, but I'm not a writer. So therefore 
I believe this is my one and only <laughs> publication. And it's like, you know, suddenly um, creating something that's been lingering for 40 years, wanting to, to get out into the world and now it's happening. So I am absolutely thrilled. I just want to ask you, because maybe some people who are listening now actually don't know your background or who you are, and perhaps that might be interesting for us all to be reminded. Yes, of course, and, and I'll make it very quick. If, um, I'm a professional musician, I'm a flutist. I live in the Boston area. And uh, 25 years ago, I founded with my husband um, a series of chamber music concerts. It's called Mistral Music, an homage to our love of Provence. And there's also another little connection because I'm a wind player and my husband is in wind energy. So the Mistral Wind became the title of our, the name of our organization. Um, and it's what I do. It's my magnificent obsession. But the interesting thing about the connection to music in the book is that there is a lot of music in this book. And one of my favorite um, blurbs from a writer who read it for me said something like, um, oh, this memoir uh, captures with rare insight the power of music, words, and Paris to drive love to madness, which I absolutely loved because there is a big element of the power of music, sharing music, in a language of love or something like that, something you cannot ever really describe um, that plays a big role in the book. And I even have a list of the pieces, some of the pieces, I have a list of about 12, 15 pieces at the back of the book that people can go to my author page and click on while they're reading the book to hear the music I'm talking about because it's so hard to talk about music in words, you really have to hear it. And with, with all of that in mind, without giving anything away, of course, this book, I, if I understand correctly, because I haven't read it yet because it's not released as, uh, as we talk today, it has to do with the beginning of your music journey, or if you could tell us a bit more about that. Yes, of course. Um... You're such a good interviewer. I don't know how I would do this in your case, but anyway. Um, so the reason I went to Paris at age 20 was on a, a school year abroad program from my American university, but I also went to study the flute with one of the famous flutists in Paris. So it was kind of like a dual, fulfilling a dream to study with this guy and also continuing my Wesleyan University degree. And so when I was there, I decided to join a chorus. At first, the first few months, I was, you know, walking around in a in a in a kind of a haze, a dreamy haze. That here I was, twenty years old and living in Paris. But then by November, it got so dark, and you know what Paris is like in the winter. It, the sun stays behind thick clouds day and night, day after day after day. And I started to get really lonely and depressed. And you know, there was, as you remember, no internet, no telephones, no nothing. Even most of my friends didn't have phones in their student quarters. So I spent a lot of time alone wandering the Seine and uh, wondering how I was going to crawl out of this lonely depression. So I joined a chorus and I had always loved singing. And that's where it all began. That's where the beginning of the story is. I 
I was struck by a face on the other side of the chorus, a Frenchman about 10 years older than I was. He was probably 29, I was 20. And um, it was um, just one of those rare, rare stories that people think don't really exist, but they really do. And um, it was a complete love at first sight thing. And, um, you know, I talked to him for months, for maybe I would say for a couple months, I just stared at him over my music. And then finally I got up enough nerve to tap him on the shoulder and we started to talk and he started to drag me home from, rehe from rehearsals. <laughs> and uh, we talked about Brittany, where he's from, we talked about music and it was just, you know, it was like nothing I had ever experienced, of course. So I won't say more than that, except that what's interesting about the story, I believe, and I, I so fear that it's gonna sound like a, such a trite cliche story, this young American girl and this older Frenchman, but it really is nothing like that. So I, I can just leave it at that. But the arc of the story is not just what happens that year in Paris. It really covers three decades, follows me into a, the end of that thing, the beginning, the middle, and the end of that thing. And then my life as a young adult and a young musician moving to Boston, meeting my eventual husband, um, having a happy marriage, having a child, and then hearing from this guy um, who, um, who arrives in Boston and wants to meet. So this is, you know, if you look at my book trailer, everything is on my um, author page, which is julieskolnick.com. Uh, there's a little book trailer I created that I, I made to get people excited and, and rouse their curiosity about what happens in this story. And the reason I know it's a good story is that every time I tried to tell somebody this story, I couldn't do it in, in, in five minutes. It turned out to be an hours long thing. I, I, I would always say, don't get me started. And then they'd ask a question, but what happened then? And, and I couldn't stop talking. So I finally said, I have to write this story down. And I figured out a way to do it, I hope, that keeps readers engaged. The best compliments I've had so far about it from amazing writers is that they read it in two days and they said they couldn't put it down and that it was a page turner. That's the, the best thing you can be told if you're trying to sell a book, you know? And I have to tell you, and I know, I know that this, um, I'm sure this will make sense to you. I, I certainly didn't to become known as a writer. You know, when you're filling out, a, a, I hired a publicity uh, organization, a, a, a PR firm to help me do the heavy lifting because I didn't want, you know, when you write a book, you're supposed to do so much work to get the word out. And it was more than I could handle as a musician doing my own thing. So I hired someone else to do it. And on their, I mean, I still have to do plenty. <laughs> But on their questionnaire, they said, what, what do you want from this? Do you want to be known as a writer, known as a speaker, make a lot of money? Um, none of my choices, I, I, I put no on all of them. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I said, yes, I just want to tell a story that will resonate with people of all ages, genders, sexual orientations, um, sexes. Yeah, I said that. Um, and, and I hope that's what I'm going to be doing, so. How, how long did it take you to write? Well, funny you should ask, because I've been saying 40 years, but obviously that is not, you know, I wrote the details 
when you read it, you'll say, how did you remember this stuff? I did not keep a journal back when I was 20. When I met this guy, I felt that writing in a journal would never be sufficient to the emotions I was experiencing during this whole thing. So I did not keep a journal. When it was over and I was heartbroken at age 22 and moved to Boston, I sat down in a park with my notebooks and, and a real pen and I just emptied the archives of my heart. I remembered every conversation verbatim. And so that's when I wrote the most difficult stuff. Obviously, anything that took place after that, my life marrying, meeting Michael at a Harvard Square newsstand, that's my husband, having children, which all were very quick brush strokes. In other words, I didn't go into detail in these things. In other words, the beginning of the book, you know, you saw my days, days and weeks and weeks and days, but then by the middle and the end, time goes by much more quickly. And so I would say that the rest of the book I wrote maybe 20 years ago, um, and then I started polishing it a few years ago, you know, like two years ago, I started really getting down to the nitty gritty. But I really think that this is not as if I, you know, when you ask about what is the experience of writing, like I didn't have that experience because this was really done decades ago for me. And how does it feel to get that story out on oh, the paper I, and now actually it's going to be published as a book? Oh, I, I can't even describe it. It is, uh, it's just incredibly uplifting and gratifying and makes me just so happy. You know, you just have a vision. You think to yourself, I want to tell this story. I want people to get this story. It's, so for me, it's not that I wanted to tell the story about first love, which is what I, I say, a memoir of first love. It's what that story can then illustrate in a, in a bigger universal truth. And the big universal truth is that when you are young and you go through something this passionate or romantic or life altering, you don't get over it. And the, the, the amazing thing is that the people who have read it, you know, like certain authors that I've sent it to, or even my friends who read the older, very rough drafts, so many of them said what I wanted to hear, which is that everyone has a story like this. And even like any, an 80 year old, old French teacher of mine from Wesleyan said, even an old curmudgeon like me will respond to a beautiful love story like this, at, even at my age. You know, and, and you know, gay men, or um, even a, a friend of mine said, I identified with Luke, the other character, not with you, you know, the emotionally impoverished, <laughs> distant person who couldn't connect. So um, I'm just pleased about the reactions and I just hope it'll resonate with, with more people. You've said several times that you're not a writer, but it sounds to me that you are a writer. So. Well, I, it's so, it's just hard for me to even, you know, even my PR people said, you need to put this on your music website that under your name, don't just say artistic director, but say author. But I feel like I have to admit to you, and I don't say this as any kind of humble brag at all. I really feel like a fraud when I say that, because I know, I mean, people have said it's beautiful writing. And I, I go, really? Thank you. Thank you. Really? I mean, it's simple writing. That's what maybe it speaks to people because it's very simple. All I know is that when I read current writers and their complex sentences and their descriptions, and I think that is nothing I can, I cannot do that. 
But fortunately, I got beautiful blurbs from good writers who said that they thought it was good writing. So I just put that out there. You know, I, I just say that um, it's, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for saying that. I don't know how to say it any other way. And going through uh, this experience, would you say that, uh, yeah, people who have a story to tell, that they should try to tell their story? Oh my God, absolutely. You know, I know that there are memoir coaches across the globe who are saying this all the time, your story is important. And not just for cathartic reasons, not just because it feels good to put it down on paper, but because your story will resonate with others who have shared that experience. And um, everyone has a story, you know? And so, yes, I totally agree with that, that um, view, that philosophy. That's fantastic. And I wish you so much luck and it must be so exciting. October the 5th is not very far away. So <laughs> everyone I, will be able to, they will be able to purchase the book. How, how will they find the book? Tell yeah, us. Okay. Thank you for asking. Well, I know um, people uh, want, mostly want to support their indie bookstores. Every, every independent bookstore can order it for them for sure. But if you are, um, like me, and I'm probably embarrassed to admit it, I still like Amazon. I know people are angry at Amazon, <laughs> but Amazon is pre-ordering it right now. Same with Barnes and Noble, uh, all the online, all the online platforms have it. And of course, I am still shocked when I click on it. I look at it and I, I click on it and see my book. Oh, I have books to show you. Oh, good. <laughs> so I got a box of early books. Here oh. it is, here's the hard, hard, hard cover. And there is the, um, oh, that says Paris 1976, and it tells the story. And then here's my couple of blurbs. Oh, that's that. Oops, that's not it, sorry. I don't know how to do this this way. Here are my blurbs. First one is from John Irving, just saying. <laughs> um, Congratulations. Yeah, and then I have this little back, back flap is about me. And then there's this bit about music, music in the memoir, and then my acknowledgments. And of course, my last acknowledgement, which is something you didn't dare ask me is, how did your husband let you write this book? And I'm just going to write, read you my final paragraph, which is, finally, there are no words to express, to express my gratitude to my extraordinary husband, Michael, the true love of my life who is confident enough of my devotion to support this long suffering literary endeavor and offer his blessing about telling this story. Mm. Because, you know, he says, well, of course I am. I mean, of course he, he's just being a very good sport about it. There's not a single person in the world who won't ask me that about how can your husband stand the fact that you've written a book about first love? Well, he says, and I mentioned it even in the book, because at one point, this guy, Luke says, um, you know, if you were my wife, I wouldn't want you sitting here having dinner with a man like this. And of course, he was right, because it's not as if we had ever become close friends 20 years later. There was still this big unspoken history between us that we never could talk about. Anyway, um, but, you know, the way my husband puts it is that, uh, it's, it's almost like it's, people don't get it. It's not that they think that writing this book means I'm not over the guy. 
writing the book is about something that really has nothing to do with me right now. It's just this universal phenomenon. That's how I describe it. That, um, that oh, as a matter of fact, if you, is it okay if I read one paragraph? Of course. It, okay, all right. Delightful. Okay, good. It's just that this kind of puts the finger, my finger on it. It's when 20 years later, 25 years after this thing ended, this guy Luke is in Boston and asks if I have time to meet him. And I play a concert and I go out of my way. A snowstorm was predicted and I, it's 1030 at night and I'm driving to his hotel and I'm getting lost down one-way streets and I'm thinking, how am I doing this? What am I doing? And it reminded me of what I would do when I was 20, going out of my way to make time to make it work. And so um, when it was over, so this is after the concert, when it was over, I changed into jeans, but deliberately kept on a favorite black top I was wearing. I got into my car and headed toward the Boston Harbor Hotel where new blocks of scaffolding and construction forced me onto streets I didn't recognize. A major snowstorm had been predicted for that evening. What am I doing? I whispered several times under my breath as I turned down incorrect one-way streets, getting farther and farther from the hotel. It felt wrong that it was late, that I was going out of my way to see him, and that if I hurried home, I might kiss my family goodnight before they went to sleep. I had long since worked my way back to wholeness and sanity since recovering from this painful love affair. I had landed intact and thankfully in a rich and fulfilled life with a man I adored. There were evenings when I stood in my kitchen with flour caked hands trying to perfect my tart tatin, a fire burning in the living room, the scent of fall leaves outside. My kids would be playing a piece together in the adjacent room and asking me to join them. Mom, come play hide and trio with us, they'd say, and my heart would take flight. So why was I here? When you fall in love at 20, I wondered as I drove around lost in the narrow streets of Boston's North End. Does the heart form around the other person like an old tree slowly absorbs a sign hung on it when it was a sapling? And then when it's gone, do you forever feel the lack of it, feel its imprint where it once rested? Mm. No, so for me, if I had to pick a paragraph, that's probably the point of the whole book, you know. And any person who would be listening or reading that book and maybe have experienced the same or in the process of experiencing, life does change. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of people think that it's, and some people will not get this. For a lot of people, it won't resonate because not everybody has had an experience like this. Many, many have, many have, but other people say, that's just, that only happens in books, you know. <laughs> Who knows, you know. So. Well, I am I'm really excited to read it, Julie. Oh, and as I mentioned before, I really wish you a lot of luck and it's really yeah. exciting. And yeah, just... Thank you Not so many much. sleeps till we can read it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Also, I'm, I'm looking for, and uh, I don't know, I, I've been trying to contact the English language books in Paris and also in Provence. Somebody told me about one in X and maybe one in Avignon. So I'm going to see whether there's any kind of a possibility of a, a reading or signing or something like that for the people oh. who live in your neighborhood, you know. 
That's fantastic. Really looking forward to it. Thank Thank you so much, Rebecca. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to me, Rebecca Renane, Creative Network Provence. I'd love you to leave a fabulous review and remember to subscribe to the show. Why not come and join Network Provence and make creative connections? The links are in the show notes. Stay tuned for upcoming, mostly two-weekly episodes. See you soon.